Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we will start together the study of the book of Psalms. And the Psalms are one of the most beautiful treasures that we have in our church. When, if you guys remember, in the book of Acts, after our Lord Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, the, the apostles, they went and prayed in the temple. And the Bible said they prayed the ninth hour. They praying psalms. From day one in the church, the apostles have taught us to pray the psalms. And we see in the monastic life, the psalms have become a significant part of the ascetic life. Not only in the east, so in the east, all the monks are expected to pray the 150 psalms daily. In the West, when uh, St. Benedict started the monastic rule, the monk was expected to pray the 150 psalms a week. So there was no monastic life without the prayer of the psalms. So the prayer of the psalms is foundation for our prayers. It's the only book from the Old Testament that we pray from in every liturgical prayer. Whether vespers, whether liturgy, we always have to pray from the psalms. Extremely special, not only when we read the gospel, but also in the Agbeya prayer. The word psalm is a Hebrew word, means tehlim in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's called tehlim, or it means praise. So the word psalm actually means praise, okay? Or coming from the word psalmus, which means touching the strings so people can start to sing. So you guys know, it's almost like it's almost like when you're calling your friends to go to church, let's go to church. The word psalms means let's praise. Let's get up and sing. Okay? And how are, you gonna, how, how are we going to rise up and sing? It's either we're going to call people to sing or we're going to pray, we're going to play the strings so people can sing. You will see that in the first, first Chronicle chapter 16 verse 4, and it said it talks about the David, David the prophet, and he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the Ark of the Lord, to commemorate, to thank, and to praise the Lord of Israel. So some of the Levites' main job was basically only to praise God. So the purpose of the book of Psalms is to praise God. That's the purpose. How does that happen? You will see. When you look at the psalms, there are different kinds of psalms. There are psalms, we call them psalms of lament, psalms of enthronement of a, of a king. There are many different kinds of psalms. We'll go through them. But the key is, and pay attention, that almost every single psalm must shift from wherever it begins and ends with praise. So the whole idea of prayer, this is essential in our life. If you tell me, Abuna, how do I know that my prayer worked? How do I know that the Holy Spirit worked in my life when I prayed? I'll tell you that once your prayer starts, you're going to talk with a humanly thoughts. It should end 
with praises to God. That's when you know the true shift happened in the prayer. Because the purpose of prayer is to take us from the earthly to the heavenly, regardless of where we're coming from. Regardless of where we're coming from. So the whole book is to help us to praise God. That's the purpose of the book. You guys know, obviously, in the Old Testament, there are different types of book, books of wisdom, books of history, books of Moses, uh, prophetic books. I'm not going to talk about them much. But it's important to understand the book of Psalms. We call it, it's one of the books of wisdom. It's important to know what book you're reading or what kind of literature you're reading to, so it can help you to understand how is God talking to you. So, for example, if we're studying a historical book, it means that I'm studying or I'm learning about God through his relationship with Moses, with David, with Abraham. When I am studying a book of wisdom, it means that I am praying or worshiping God based on the words that he gives me or based on the wisdom that he gives me. So I'm almost using his own words to pray. And this is what our Lord did in the New Testament. This is what our Lord did in the New Testament. I just want to tell you guys a couple of things really quickly about Psalms. Psalms in this Old Testament are not specific to the book of Psalms. So for example, if you, if you open Nahum chapter 1 or Habakkuk chapter 3, you will see people writing Psalms in these books, in these chapters. Again, Psalms are words of praise. So you will see that Habakkuk have written a, a Psalm of praise in the book. But the book of Psalm was a unique collection that was gathered together and were attributed to David for two reasons. One, because David wrote most of it. And number two is because during the time of David, David made Jerusalem the center of worship. David made Jerusalem the center of worship. Remember, before David, they were never, they, they had soul, but there is a lot of disagreement with them. When David came, he started to organize the choir, the musicians, and he started having a, a formal worship in the temple. So everybody would desire to come and worship at the temple. That's what David did. And that's what each one of us can do when we pray the Psalms in our homes. We can make our homes holy, almost like Jerusalem. Everybody would want to come to them. One of the things I love about the book of Psalms, it is not connected to clergy, it's not connected to monks. All the people that wrote Psalms, most of them are normal people. And the singers that used to sing the book of Psalms were actually, they would walk in the front of the priests. And they used to prophesy as they were singing. They used to prophesy as they were singing. So this is a call for all of us to enjoy a book where the Holy Spirit can change the way we pray. This is a very unique book in the Bible. One of the unique things about this book is our Lord Jesus Christ said that this book, the book of Psalms, speak about Him. Look in Luke 20, 24, 44, it said, Then He said to them, our Lord said to the disciples, these are the words which I spoke unto you while I was, set, I was still with you, 
that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So the Psalms are talking about our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And a Jewish person used to memorize the Psalms. So all what you have to say is the first few words of the Psalm and he would know the full Psalm. Actually, in the old days, in our Coptic church in Egypt, when they go around to distribute the psalms, they won't tell you the psalm number. They just tell you the first word. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And you finish. Blessed is the man. And you finish. That was a tradition. And unfortunately, this is one of the traditions that have died, where people don't memorize as many psalms anymore. The expectation was not this expectation that we memorize the Psalms. We memorize the Psalms. And you will see even in Mark 12, 35, 37, our Lord spoke and, and he was explaining to the Jews in the temple and he was teaching them about himself. He only mentioned part of the Psalm and he said, the Lord said to my Lord, he said, David mentioned the prophet, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? So as Jesus was explaining, he used one of the Psalms to prove that the Psalms talk about him and he only needed to mention a couple of parts to explain uh, which Psalm he's talking about. St. Augustine said, there is nothing that we cannot learn from the Psalms. All the spiritual life can be taught in the Psalms. St. Basil the Great said, this is a general treasure to all good commandments, the voice of the church it contains all theology. St. Jerome said, it is a scripture, it is a holy Bible inside the holy Bible. So we're talking about a very, a very special book. Why? Because the best way for me to get to know God is through personal experience, through personal prayer. And the book of Psalms is one of the few books that gives me that personal experience with God. When I learned to pray these books this way. Just get a, uh, a quick comment about the differences. If you open the Agbeya, the book of hours that we have in our church, and you open the regular Bible, you will see that the Psalms are a little uh, off in numbers. So just want to explain this as we go through this. So the, the Agbeya is based on the Septuagint collection. And the, the Bible is based on the Hebrew collection. So you will see, for example, usually they are off by one number. So Psalm 1 to Psalm 8 are the same in the Septuagint and the Hebrew Bible. Now the Septuagint, Psalm 9, corresponds to Psalm 9 and 10. And then they start shifting back and forth. So usually... All I'm trying to tell you, I'm not going to tell you through the whole breakdown of the numbers, but all I want you to do is when you open your Agbe and you open your Bible and see they're off by one number, you know that this is just a different collection. Somebody decided that I'm going to break one psalm into two instead of keeping it as one psalm. That's all it is. And then another psalm later on, they decided to collect two and make it one. So you just have to track, just look at the Agbe, look at the Bible, and you should be able to see it. The Septuagint though added Psalm 151, which we pray in Bright Saturday, which he said, I am the youngest among my brethren. And we still, we still call the book of Psalms 150 because it's almost, you can think of the number 150 as a title. It's almost like 
we used to refer to the disciples as the 12. Whether Judas was with them, whether Messiah and three of them were with Jesus, we always call them the 12. It's a title. But the Jews always could have kept the number 150 specific for the Psalms. So I hope you guys are following. So this is just a quick introduction to just understand what some of the fathers said about the book of Psalms, what the word Psalms mean. Now we'll get through some a little bit more details about the book of Psalms and how it's divided. So I want you guys to start bringing your notes out as we go through this. The book of Psalms is divided into five different books. Five different books, okay? And I'm going to tell you the theme of each book and how does each book end. It's extremely important. The first book is written by David the prophet and it's from Psalm 1 to Psalm 41. The second book is from Psalm 42 to 72. The third book is written by Solomon mainly and it's from Psalm 73 to 89. Please write them down because it would help a lot when you study. Book 4 is from Psalm 90 to 106 and book 5 or from Psalm 107 to 150. Every book has a theme. And every book ends with a dexology. Remember I told you the whole idea of the book of Psalms to teach you how to praise God. So for example, if you look at the, book, the first book written by David, it talks about personal salvation. The blessing of human, the fall of the human, the enmity with Christ, the repair of man. It's all about personal salvation. The story of creation, the fall, and, and, and restoration. And it ends with a dexology. In Psalm 41, 13, it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. This is the conclusion of the first book. Ends with praise. The second book talks about the salvation of the church. Or the salvation of Israel. So destruction of Israel the Savior of Israel, the salvation of Israel. And it ends with Psalm 72, again with praise, 18 to 19. Uh, uh, Psalm 72 from verse 18 to 19. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. That's the end of the second book. Ends at Psalm 72. The third book talks about the fall of the empire and the relationship between the temple and the human and the temple and God. Again, it ends with a sexology in Psalm 89, verse 52. Blessed is the Lord forevermore. Amen and Amen. So usually when you see the word Amen repeated twice, most likely you are at the end of a book, of the five books. The fourth book talks about God coming to restore us or the new earth that God is coming to create for us. And it ends with Psalm 106, verse 49. It says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And then the fifth book ends with Psalm 150, which is a psalm that you guys all know. It's all psalm of praise. Let everything that has breath praise the name of the Lord. The whole book is about praise. And what makes distinction from one book to another is the conclusion of praise. Are you guys following so far or did I lose you? You guys are following? Okay. 
So just, just maybe if you guys missed this, so the first book is Personal Salvation from Psalm 1 to 41. The second book is The Salvation of the Church from Psalm 42 to 72. The third book is The Fall of the Empire and the Relationship of the Temple with God and the Temple of the Human from Psalm 73 to 89. The fourth book is The Restoration of God to Us and Giving Us a New Earth from Psalm 90 to 106. And the fifth book is God Coming and the Word of God Abiding Forever from Psalm 107 to Psalm 50. Okay? Hopefully this helps us. When I'm reading each book, I know which book I am, and I can go in and understand the theme I am in. In the Psalms, there are usually three common movements within every Psalm. Or throughout the Psalms. Either within a single Psalm or throughout the Psalm. Three movements. One, as I mentioned earlier, most likely in the Psalm, we remove, we remove from lament and weeping into praise. We're moving from the earth to heaven. The second movement, you move from the story and the life of Israel to the life of all humanity. Okay? And the third movement, you move from specifically to Jerusalem, to the church throughout the whole world. The psalm is a book that moves us from the Old Testament, not only to the New Testament, but to heaven. It moves me from being selfish, worried about my own salvation, to worrying about salvation of the whole world. It moves me from the human feelings to the heavenly feelings of God. Are you guys following so far? So these are the three movements that happen in the book of Psalms. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go through some more information because I think it would help us as we study the book of Psalms, but today is just a little bit, more, a little bit intense, so you guys can, uh, can study it on your own as well. Who wrote the book of Psalms? Okay? There are many people who wrote the book of Psalms. Obviously, David is the most well-known author of the book of Psalms. Also, Solomon have written two Psalms, 72 and 127. Believe it or not, there is a psalm, Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses the prophet, even though Moses was way before David. But if you look in Deuteronomy 32 and 33, Moses have offered some praise to God, and it looks like some of the psalmists have put this together, and this is, you know, once you start the, the psalm, this is a psalm of Moses. So there was a collection in that prayer and made it a psalm of Moses. And you will see it, for example, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generation before the mountains were brought forth. O ever you and formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are our God. And you will see it. Also, there is somebody who is one of the musicians that David have appointed. His name is Asaph. He wrote about 12 Psalms. And by the way, all the names of the people who wrote the book of Psalms, you will see them in First and Second Chronicles. A lot of them were assigned by David the prophet. He appointed some of the Levites to minister before the Ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank, to praise the, the, the Lord of Israel, Asaph, the chief of musicians. There's another person called Haman. This is another person that also was, was written Psalm 88. And then there's also another person called named Ethan. There's a son of Korah. Son of the Korah, by the way, Korah was one of the people that rebelled against Moses and his grandchildren they became gatekeepers of the temple 
and they also became part of the musicians in the temple. And they also wrote some of the psalms. Okay? And then you have Judah Then, he also wrote some of the psalms. So, the point I'm trying, and I don't, I, all, these, all these names are actually in First and Second Chronicles, but I just want you guys to know that the book of Psalms is a collection of many people. It's not only David the prophet. They have looked at what Moses has written, they have looked at what Solomon has written, they've collected them as a way to offer praises to God. Now, before I start kind of looking at the first psalm, there are two things I want to do before we start. Number one, I want there are two technical terms that you're going to hear a lot in the psalms that I want to explain before we go. So when we come to them, we don't have to explain them again. One of the words that you're going to hear a lot in the psalms, a word called salah, C-L-A-H. And you, it's repeated in the psalms 71 times. Okay. And the word salah coming from a Hebrew root, it's sel, which means lift up or increase the voice of the music. What used to happen is that when they say the word salah, the people, the musicians start raising the music, people will bend down to worship, and then they would repeat the response saying forever. It's almost like a very special time in the psalm where the psalmist wants people to meditate. Or it's a very holy part of the prayer. You guys know almost, for example, in the liturgy, when Abuna would mess and pray, Tagayatis, the holies are for the holies. He would raise his voice, we're all, we're all about to kneel down, and we're all responding to what he's saying. It's a very holy time, very special time. I'll tell you guys something, keep it in mind. We have lost a lot of the Psalms because we do not know the Hebrew language and we don't know the music. If there is a lot of music playing around, the, the Psalms would sound much different if they are in the original Hebrew language. So we, we, are, we are taking, and you are taking what was meant to help people not only to pray but to meditate and we're trying to put it in a condensed way. That's why it's important for you to see why it was written this way. There is another word that you will see it a lot in the, in the, also in the psalm. It's called heogain. In the English, they don't put heogain. All of a sudden, you'll find a word that says meditation. Okay? Instead of heogain, you'll see it meditation. You'll see it, for example, in Psalm 9, 916. And what used to happen at that time, they would lower the instrument and people would recite scripture. For example, in Psalm 916, it says, The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared and the work of his own hands. And then meditation, salah. So you can think about this, what's happening. They lower the music. People will meditate. And all of a sudden, they lift up the music. People will bend down and respond and saying forever. Okay? So when I see these, when I see these words, it helps me to understand what, are, what do they mean as I'm praying them. It's actually, it almost, you guys remember in the Holy Week, in the Bascha Week, when the deacons will come and they will sing the psalm uh, to, uh, similar to the tune of Ki'ibertu. What are we supposed to do when a deacon is singing a hymn, the psalm for a very long time? The whole purpose is for us to meditate. The whole purpose for the music to go up and down so it can reflect the certain part of the psalms that I need to worship and I need to feel the fear of God and certain parts that I need to praise. 
So it's important for us to just keep these two terms. There's other technical terms, and when we come to them, we will we will uh, we'll go through them. Look, most of this, there are different types of psalms. There are two common types of psalms that I'm going to go through them in, in a little bit more detail because they're going to come up all the time. There is psalm of praise and psalm of lament. Most of the psalms in this in the scripture, psalm of praise and psalm of lament. And regardless whether you're studying a psalm of lament or a psalm of praise, the end usually is praise. But we're talking about the beginning, okay? So please pay attention, and I want you also to take notes. I'm sorry to, to make you guys write a lot, but I think it would help. Right now we're going to go through the structure of how a psalm of praise looks like. Be careful. When you pray a psalm of praise, there's actually almost a formula that every psalm of praise follows. When you pray a psalm of lament, there's almost a formula that every psalm of lament follows. So these formulas will help me when I'm praying. I'm going to understand how the author wrote these parts and how I should pray. So let's go through one, for example. One of the most common psalms of praise is Psalm 107. So each psalm of praise has six parts. So we'll go through the six parts together. The first part is called proclamation or call. You're saying, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good for his mercy and forever. You're proclaiming. You're calling. I'm going to give thanks to God. So that's the first part of the psalm of praise. The second part is, you have to summarize the acts of God. Why are you praising God? He says, let the Redeemer of the Lord say, so whom he has redeemed from the land of the enemy. So he's praising God because God has redeemed us from the land of the enemy. So remember, he says, I'm going to praise God. The second thing he says, why is he praising God? The third thing, he's, he's recollecting all the details, the need. What happened? He said, and gather out of the lands from the east and the west, from the north and the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. So he starts telling the story. So he's telling, I'm going to praise God. Why I'm praising God? And then he goes back and talks about the details of praising God. What happened that makes you want to praise God? And then number four, he talks about the deliverance. They deliver, he delivered in the wilderness in a desolate way. And then number five, there is a vow of praise. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. And then number six, descriptive praise. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry souls with goodness. You see the structure? He's proclaiming that he's going to praise to God. He's telling God, this is why I'm praising you. He's remembering all the details of the problem. And now he says, God delivered me from the problem again. And he says, God, I'm going to promise to praise you because you have not uh, delivered me from the problem earthly, but you have changed something internally. You have changed something internally. So when you want to stand and praise God, it's not sometime we say, oh, we offer thanks to God. It's, the Psalms doesn't just offer thanks to God. I thank you, God, for you have covered my sin. I thank you, God, for you have covered my sins. Because I needed you to cover me. If you would have revealed to me, I would have no credibility. I would have this, I would have this. I recollect all the problem. But you have delivered me. You have covered me. I promise I'm going to praise you forever. 
because you have humbled me and you have embarrassed me. You see, you can take the structure of the psalm to help you to learn how to offer thanksgiving to God. The second type of psalms, we said the most common one is the psalm of lament. And the psalm of lament has actually eight parts. I'm going to go, I'm sorry, I'm being, this, these are the, I promise you, these are the only two psalms. I'm going to go through the structure because I want you guys as to, as you read, as you pray these psalms to understand and it helps us in our prayer. The lament has, has eight parts. The first one, you talk to God, address to God and cry for help. One of the most common psalms is Psalm 13. Help, Lord, for the godly men ceased, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. He's addressing, crying, God, God, help me. There's nobody good in, on earth. After he cries for help, what does he do? The second thing, he references to God's mighty acts in the past. Then the Lord cut off all the flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. So God, you have done these things before. And then he starts describing the distress, the problem. I have an opponent that's, that's fighting me. They have said, with, who have said to me, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is the Lord over us? So he's telling him, look, all those people are trying to attack me. So remember, complaining, then telling God, God, you're able to do this. You've done this in the past. Now he's describing his distress. Number four, he's confessing his trust in God. I trust you that you will do this. Okay? Number five, petition to hear and deliver. Asking God, God, would you please hear my prayer? Okay? And then he states her question, his question or petition, and then at the end, there's a vow of praise. You will see this in Psalm 13. Again, why am I telling you this? A lot of time people say, you know what? Whatever in your heart, just tell it to God. And sometimes we go and we get angry at God and people think this is a sort of carriage and it's a sort of like a way to pray to God. But see, the psalmist, the Holy Spirit, when he's teaching us how to pray, what is he saying? He's saying, you make your request known to God, then you remember what he has done in the past. Then you describe what you're going through. Then you have to confess that you believe in God. And then once you believe in God, you have to tell him again your, your plea one more time. And then at the end, you have to promise you will praise. These, this is the way that the Holy Spirit has taught, it, taught us to pray. These are the ways that the Holy Spirit has taught us to pray. There are other type of psalms like enthronement of the king, like Psalm 47 and 93. There are psalms of wisdom, like Psalm 1 that we were studying, God willing. Psalm 1 is psalm of wisdom, okay? And psalm of wisdom, there are two different types of psalms of wisdom. Psalm of wisdom, like Psalm 1, which it gives you strictly like a clear wisdom. It's almost like the book of Proverbs. Or other psalms, like Psalm 19, where the wisdom is almost presented to you as a riddle. As a riddle. So you have a question... And you're almost kind of puzzled over it. It reminds me when the Greek kind of built roads. When they came and occupied the whole world. They, they built roads everywhere. And they put signs. So as you go from one place to another, you know which city you're going to. 
But because the distances were long, so people would write riddles on every sign. So as you go from one place to another, all that you're doing is you're thinking about the riddle. Okay? So sometimes a way to learn a wisdom is actually by giving you a riddle, a challenging question to help you to know it. There are some songs of pilgrimage. So when people go to Jerusalem, like from one Psalm 120 to 134, there are psalms of creation, there are psalms of liturgical songs, like Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51. There are all these different types of psalms that we have in the scripture depending on the occasion. So, but the most common ones are the psalms of lament and the psalms of praise. And we've went through the structure of these psalms because they will help us to understand uh, why are we praying these psalms. So I don't think we're going to have time to go through Psalm 1 today. So I'm just going to cover one more point and then next time we can maybe go through Psalm 1. Sometime in the book of Psalms, you will hear certain verses that seems a bit, uh, seems a bit like aggressive. Or the person is not asking for justice but asking for vengeance. Okay, Like I'll give you an example. For example, in Psalm 109.12, it says, Let there let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any that to pity his fatherless children. He's talking about Babylon. He says, look, let nobody extend kindness to people in Babylon. He says, O daughter of Babylon, happy shall be the one who takes your little ones and dash them against the rock. Psalm 137.8. So when you read sometimes these psalms, you might say these psalms are what? Some, you might see these verses are what are a little unusual with the Christian message. So what is he saying? I want to explain this quickly so we all know what he's saying. Number one, a lot of these, a lot of these verses are actually calling for justice. It's a cry for justice. What's happening is, is when people in Babylonian came and destroyed Israel, they took the they took women they took the kids they, they made the kids orphan it was a horrific thing so a lot of a lot of what the what the what the what the psalmist is asking for is justice okay but i want to tell you guys something this is the part of psalms that expresses the human feelings that god will change during the psalm these are the part, the type of the verses in the psalm that expresses human feeling. Like remember, I told you the psalms goes from I express my human anxieties, my problem, my laments, and God changes them. I give you an example in Jeremiah, for example. All of a sudden, Jeremiah discovered that the people who wanted to kill him are his parents, his family. So what did he say in Jeremiah? Jeremiah 12. He said, "Cursed is the day in which I was born." Let the, day not, let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father saying, a male child has been born to you, making him very glad. So Jeremiah is saying, you know the guy who told my parent, my dad, I'm, my, my mom is pregnant? He should be cursed. What is this guy, what's his, what did he do wrong, right? But the, this, this, this verse here expresses Jeremiah's anguish, human feelings. God was not happy 
with what Jeremiah did. Job, the same way, God went back and had a mingle, like a little bit of encouragement and rebuked what he did. So we have to understand that part of the Psalms expresses the human feelings. Part of it is a cry for justice, for example, like in the book of Revelation. And they cried, the righteous, with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth. So the righteous people would actually tell God in heaven, until when is this going to keep going? So there's a call for justice, and there is actually an expression of the human feelings. Another part I want you guys to know, in the school of Alexandria, we also look at the spiritual meaning. So what happens is, is that a lot of the fathers said, for example, the example about taking the little children and hitting them against the rocks. He's saying Babylon represents the sin, the evil kingdom. And these little children are these little sins that once I realize they have been ruining my spiritual life, I want to hit them with God, with Christ. Christ is the rock. So there's a spiritual interpretation to explain uh, from a spiritual warfare meaning, but the basic, the plain meaning is that these are the human feelings and God sanctifies them as he goes through, as the psalmist goes through the prayer. Okay? And obviously you see this call of justice also in the very first, when our Lord Jesus Christ started to teach in the synagogue, the very first thing he opened was Isaiah 61. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty and captivity, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God. So Jesus said, when I came, I came to heal, I came to do all these things, but I also I came to proclaim there is a second coming. There is a day for punishment. There is a day for vengeance. When God came on earth, our Lord came on earth, he said, I did not come to judge anyone, but there will be a time where there will be judgment. So nobody can say God is punishing me because God is not punishing anybody right now. God only allows tribulation to bring us closer to him, allow us to repent, or allow us to be crowned in heaven at this moment. There's no punishment at this moment. The hour of punishment is coming at the second coming. That's what, that's what he's saying. Okay? This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.